What's up, guys? Welcome into OBR Film Breakdown. This is your Tuesday, October 11th episode, and it's going to be a comprehensive breakdown, all 22, that we are going to spend some time talking about both sides of the football from things that I realized and takeaways that I have from this game, which is a 30-28 to loss to uh, the Chargers. Another, a third brutal loss, right? The Browns have lost one, two, and three. Uh, point games this year and those are their three losses all three games you could look at those and say they easily could have won right they got the kicker to do the one thing they were supposed to do in week one kicker didn't do what he was supposed to do in week two Uh, he you know misses the extra point and then kicker misses this one now again there are many people at blame not just the kicker but the kicking can be the fine line sometimes in a lot of these games but nonetheless here we are and um you know, the situation is the situation. The Browns are two and three. Uh, if you listen to yesterday's show, uh, the the uh, replay of the Twitch episode after the game, I was pretty emotional. I try, I try not to be that way. I really, like I said in that episode, I try to be more calculated, uh, try to give you more perspective. But sometimes I think there are moments where you do need to let emotion out and you do need to, to you know, relate to people who do similar things to you, watch the game, commit commit to things as a fan, all of that stuff. So I thought that was the appropriate time to do it. And I really tried to do it in a sense that would relate to what I hope Kevin Stefanski is doing, who is a very calculated human being. He's very, you know, even keeled. His demeanor is, is pretty flatline. But at some point, I hope, at some point, there is more emotion to it. There is more uh, a level of deeper... You know, um, I don't know the way to say this, not deeper care, but you got to get outside your comfort zone a little bit. And clearly Kevin is not a guy that likes to yell, scream and tear apart his guys. But at some point, if things are falling on deaf ears, there needs to be some sort of emotion tied to it. Now, I don't know every single moment of the Brown season. I don't know inside their locker room at halftime. I don't know a lot of things. I only know certain portions of the what we see in the mainstream. And Kevin does a great job staying even keeled, great demeanor, all of that all the time. But there are some times where I think the Browns show up lacking passion. There are some times where I think there's less, uh, I think, desire to, to be great than there needs to be. And I do start to wonder if there's something different vocally, accountability-wise that needs to happen here, because there are just on these Sundays, five Sundays into this thing, too many mistakes that are happening that are of the mental variety. You know, I know people want to say, take that guy out and replace him. Well, that's not always the answer, because sometimes taking that guy out and replacing him with somebody far less talented is not the answer. That guy's just going to get picked on in a different way. And yeah, I know you might want to try to prove your point, and that's great. And maybe the Browns will try to do a bit more of that. But again, that's not always the answer. What you need, though, is some form of accountability. How do you motivate your guys? How do you get them ready to play? Are you doing the right things that get these guys in a position to feel like they're either going to lock themselves in mentally or do what's best for the team? And right now, there are examples, including John Johnson right in front of his face, saying something to an official that draws a flag with no fear of a repercussion from his coach or team or organization. It just is like where, you know, I think you want to do the best job to treat these guys like men all the time. And I think, like I said, Kevin does a pretty good job of doing that, treating them the way he would like to be treated himself, so on and so forth. 
But can there be times of passion? Can there be times where in a post-game press conference you hold people accountable and you call guys out? I think there are times and places for that. Now, Kevin's being challenged a bit here, and I think he's going to have to get out of his comfort zone. Remain thinking he is a great play caller. There are times where he frustrates me as a play caller, but for the most part, really, really good at what he does there. But that's not the whole job. The whole job is being the guy responsible for your entire football team. That includes special teams. That includes defense. And that includes your guys' preparedness to play. Your position coaches getting them ready. Your defensive coordinator having them in the best position with the scheme. All of that stuff, while yes, you can pinpoint, I want to get rid of Joe Woods, I want to get rid of this person, that person, and maybe that ultimately happens. Maybe Kevin has to make those tough decisions. I think we're trending in that direction right now where he's going to have to make some tough decisions and people on his defensive side of the football. But at the end of the day, it all does come back to him. It all does come back to the head coach because your bottom line is the win-loss record, and that's how you are judged. Yeah, sure, your offense can be great, and they are. They're really good offensively. That's not even questionable here. But you have to understand that the win-loss stuff ultimately comes down to you. Who can you hire? If you can't hire the right person, you're never going to go the places you need to go. If you can't get the person who you hire to do the things they're supposed to do as a coordinator or a position coach, it comes back to you. You can be a great play caller all you want. It's great. It's awesome. It's points on the board. But if you can't figure out the other side of the football simultaneously or the person who needs to be in place to do that... Fair or unfair, and I think quite fair because that's the that's the job. That's the you want to wear the big pants, you want to be the guy in the organization, then you need to figure out who to delegate responsibilities to who are going to do them effectively. So I do think in the coming weeks, uh in this season and in and, and probably after the season, you are going to see situations where Kevin Stefanski is going to have to break out of his comfort zone and do things that he's not accustomed to doing. Things he doesn't like to, to be a knee-jerk reaction person. He likes to be more calculated, more, uh, I, 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 it's a process to get where they go. And he, he doesn't like to do certain things. Like I said, again, in media sessions, so on and so forth. He, he really doesn't like to, you know, pinpoint where the issues are for people. He takes a lot of the blame, all of that. So like, to me, I think what it, it's just going to take here is some guys getting out of their comfort zone, and it starts with the head coach. Because if you want some results to be different, you're going to have to do things that you're not already doing. Because what's the phrase that we always hear? You know, uh, if you continue to try the same things over and over again, expecting different results, that is the definition of insanity. So we'll see if Stefanski's willing to change whatever it is. I'll be focused in on it, but uh, th- there's got to be some sort of philosophical change. Uh, um, to to I would say the defensive side of the football, and it has to happen hastily. Now, again, you can pinpoint some things offensively, but I think defense. You can you like I said, you could pinpoint kicking. You can pinpoint the offensive line, or sorry, the offense play. Some some things in play calling situationally. That fourth and one, we'll talk about all of it. But I think again, if you're just talking about what's wrong with the Browns' defense, sorry, the Browns collectively. It's the defense, and if you're trying to say other things are the issue, you're just looking to cover up what the biggest issue is here, which is a glaring defensive issue. So that's a little bit of what I have. I I, I think I've thought a lot about this, that Kevin's going to have to really try to – he's going to be challenged. He's going to be challenged professionally. He's probably going to be challenged personally with this stuff, and we'll see how he responds to it. Quick break, and then we will decipher what I think happened on both sides of the football, starting with the offense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250 k in cash alone. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb your leaderboard for a shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, even those over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up with this promo code which is very simply for the fans of this podcast, OBR. Use that promo code OBR at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store and get a first deposit match up to $25. So again, promo code OBR. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Again, that promo code OBR, nohouseadvantage.com. All right, so the offense is really good in this one. They go for 443 yards. They have 27 first downs. They're 4 of 10 on third down. For Like I said, 443 net, 65 offensive plays, 6.8 average gain. They rush for 213, continuing their streak of every single game being above 170 yards rushing this year. They pass for 230, great balance. They do have the crushing turnover, which, again, we will talk about in a minute. Uh, but they punt it twice. Two great punts by Corey, B- uh, Corey Bjorkas, uh, which is, again, not missed on me. Those are fantastic. He's doing such a good job punting this year. Four touchdowns, but they leave two field goals on the board. 0 for 2 on field goals. 30 minutes time of possession, just a couple seconds more than the 29-58 that the Chargers had in this game. So, um, individually, uh, stat-wise here, Nick Chubb, 17-134, two touchdowns, a great game. Kareem Hunt, 11-47, a touchdown, another great game. Brissett, 21 of 34, 230 yards, a touchdown in that one interception that he would he would dream of having back. David Njoku, 6 for 88. Amari uh, Cooper, 7 for 76 and a touchdown. Peoples-Jones, 4 for 50. All three of those guys played so well. Kareem Hunt, 3 for 10. D- David Bell, 1 for 6. And uh, one target on Nick Chubb up the right sideline, which, man, just fingertips and should have been caught. It would have been a big play on the second drive. That's unfortunate. Harrison Bryant dropped a throw that hit him in the hands on his lone target, and Anthony Schwartz got a target on that final drive. I do not totally understand why they would give him a target, but that is just me. Um, So, yeah, let's talk about grades and performance and so on and so forth. As I said, the grades are really good across the board. I mean, there's only a few people below 
60 in the game um, that played a lot. Jack Conklin really pass blocked well, but they, they gave him a poor run blocking grade, which I, I think I agree with. He was not his usual self in the run phase. So if people getting decent snap totals, he had a 58.6 and David Bell had a 56.0 uh, below that. But the only person who graded poorly in this game on offense was Harrison Bryant with a 39.9. Betonio 93.1 and Joku 86.3. This is David and Joku's best game as a pro, in my opinion. Really, really good, man. Like tons of great catches, contested catches. You really, you really like to see that. Wyatt Teller uh, 84.1, 77.6 from Amari Cooper, 77.4 from Nick Chubb. Uh, Ethan Posich with a 77.0, 74.8 from Donovan Peoples-Jones down the line. Really good stuff. Quarterback play, Brissett gets a 70.5 overall because he had some nice runs. He had some really nice scrambles. A 64.6 pass grade feels right. He had two big-time throws in this one. Um, I think one of those big-time throws came off a scramble drill where he did a great job moving and making a throw. And then, uh, obviously hit a, a fantastic laser up the left sideline to Amari Cooper. Uh, he did have the turnover-worthy interception, as we know. Um, and again, uh, Brissett did a nice job finding some some front-side dig routes. He, he had some good throws. He had some really nice efforts in this one. One ball was dropped, like I mentioned, the Bryant ball. 2.89 seconds time to throw, uh, which is solid. And then um, I think he, let me see here, I think he, was, he had a couple throwaways. I think he ended up having three throwaways. But overall... 21 of 34 is pretty good. 230, 6.8 yards per attempt. That's about the standard for what they're going to be the rest of the time with Brissett until Watson gets back. Uh, Kept clean in this one. Pretty good. 20 of 28, an 82.3 pass grade. He completed for 221 and a touchdown when kept clean. The under pressure stuff is, again, where Jacoby Brissett is who he is. He was one of six for nine yards and an interception when he was under pressure. When he wasn't blitzed, he was 13 of 23 for 149. That interception... When he was blitzed, which is pretty good when they picked up the blitz and kept him clean, 8 of 11, 81 yards, a touchdown. So um, the pressure stuff is what's real. Like, you want to know for Jacoby Brissett, like, you, you want to know a couple things, right? So um, you, he's good when he has. He's been good. He's not always been good this way, but he's he's been good this year when he has been kept clean and he has the threat of, of run pass stuff, right? Early downs. Uh, could be a run or a pass. Done a nice job. He has uh, play action stuff. In this game, he had a 92.3 play action grade where he was 6 of 8 for 101 yards. Had a couple great throws to Njoku in play action. I think one of those was actually a big-time throw grade. Um, so that's that's what it is, though. He is a guy who is able to when be, you know, when he's kept clean and when he has the threat of run pass, he's effective. And he was, again, in this game, effective uh, when those things were live, and and he can and he can and he can get off those throws. But the pro, the thing is, and what we talked about with Baker Mayfield a lot is, you're not necessarily always paid for that. It's nice when you're you're doing those things, you know, making the quarterbacks uh, throws that they should make at an NFL level when schemes are open or when play action allows it or when uh, they do some gun stuff and it, the defense is co- sort of dictated into coverage. He's doing those things well. But what he's struggled with this year, think about it are moments when he's had to pass and the defense knows he has to pass and he has to make throws that matter. The Jets game. Shouldn't have been put back on the field, but still was. Throws a terrible dig route, misses the throw, uh, and, and it should have come to the backside dig. It gets undercut, interception. All right, Atlanta, in that game, takes a sack that he could have worked left in the pocket and avoided the sack, and then on fourth down, makes a throw downfield up the seam, 
that just is is ill-advised on third down and instead of dropping it to the back and gaining 15 yards and having a chance to kick the field goal to tie. So that's two. Then the third one is in this one where he does a fantastic job of getting out of pressure, rolling right, could have run for the first down, but instead throws sort of across his body into the end zone and he's intercepted. So this is where he struggles. And you can see it. His decision-making, his his body demeanor, everything. When he's forced to be the guy to make decisions to throw against predictable pass situations, either late game, crunch time, whatever, he's not able to do that as effectively as you need a guy to. So that's why you wonder. In these pressure-packed moments, the decision-making, the delivery of the football accurately, the patience in the pocket when it's, it's under two minutes, and you're, you're coming back and the crowd, the momentum and everything, you can feel it in the air. He's not very good at that. And that's not that's that's been the norm for him throughout his career. That's been the norm for him across the board. Now, he's playing good football collectively. He's doing a nice job in these things so far in terms of doing what the offense is giving him. But when he has to carry them, he cannot. And that's why he's a backup quarterback. An admirable job. Some of these situations he should not even have found himself in this year. But when he has to do it, he can't really do it. That's why you see guys get paid $230 million, or the Patrick Mahomes or the Josh Allen is that you think that Deshaun Watson can do those things. And I do too, because I think that the opportunity will be there for him. And I think he's talented enough and he's got the, you know, he's, he's proven that he can do this stuff in the past. So I fully expect him to do it, but that's the difference. That's why Brissett is not a big time starter in the league, despite some really great plays. And he made a ton of really great plays in this game. But the problem is how far can he take you? And the defense is putting pressure on him to be better than what he is. They, they, in some of these games in order to overcome what's happened, he needs help. And and they're not giving it. You know, Dallas is four and one with Cooper Rush starting a majority of the games. Well, it's not because of Cooper Rush, man. They're playing great defense. And this one on offense, they ran eleven personnel, thirty-seven times, twenty-five times, twelve personnel. Michael Dunn played twelve snaps, nine runs, three passes, so they went heavy quite a bit. Only two times with thirteen personnel, one time with twenty-two personnel. So they limited uh, some of the Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb dual snap stuff. 35 times of motion, 12 times of snaps of 65 total plays. So that all adds up. That's typical to who they are. In this game, you saw a lot of gun, a lot of gun pull stuff, which I did not like. They ran it five times. One time it busted for 16 yards, but otherwise they were four times of those five, three yards or less. Really what they were most effective with was zone, wide zone and and, and weak side wide zone to the two-man side. Uh, They were really good. On those situations and the play action that they had off of those looks were highly effective as well. That was their best offense. So, um, but again, they put up 28 points. They kicked their two field goals. They put up 34. It's a pretty good day on offense. Talking about receiving David Njoku, 90.0 grade, catching six of six targets for 88 yards. And again, tough catches up away from his body, getting hit or uh, catches with somebody hanging all over him. He was. He's becoming, hopefully, you, you want to see it over a longer period of time, but he's off to a great start in becoming who we hoped he would be. He just needs to get some touchdown catches mixed into this thing. He's doing a great job. Donovan Peoples-Jones was open all day, was missed quite often. Third down settle over the middle was missed. He was missed on backside digs. He still had four catches on seven targets for 50 yards, but he was open all day. 77.2 receiving grade. Amari Cooper did a great job, too. 76 catches. 76 yards, seven catches, a touchdown, 76.9 grade. Thought he was pretty effective. Otherwise, receiving grades, some guys in the 50s who had a target, a singular target, but not much else to really riff on there. Um, two for two on contested catches for Njoku. Peoples-Jones was one for two, just did not get that foot down on the final drive. 
And then Amari Cooper was one for two on contested catches as well. Um, yeah, that that's uh, that's a look at the receiving, the rushing grades. Nick had an eighty-one point zero rushing grade. I feel like that's still too low. He made a he had a whopping ten missed tackles forced. Uh, I can update you on this here uh, real quick as terms of how much more he's producing than anyone else. He has on the year the most rushing yards in the NFL, and if you look just at his yards after contact, he has the fourth most. Just just Nick Chubb on yards after contact, he has the fourth most rushing yards. Uh, in the NFL. So it's pretty crazy. So if we go to running backs and we sorted out rushing grades and we look at missed tackles forced, Nick has 42 forced. Damian Pierce has 33 forced. And that rookie's doing a great job in Houston, but it's still nowhere near what Nick's doing right now. Nick's run grade is a 90.7, which is uh, of all halfbacks, the highest rushing grade, as you would imagine, as he leads the NFL in so many of those categories. So Nick Chubb continues to do fantastic stuff. Kareem Hunt, a pretty nice game. Again, uh, he doesn't really make the missed tackles happen as often as Nick does. He had one missed tackle forced. He had two 10-plus yard runs. Sorry, Nick had five of those, seven gap and 10, uh, 10 gap runs, seven zone runs. A lot of gap runs for Kareem Hunt. He had nine to just one zone run. Um uh, as far as breakaways go, Nick had 15-plus yard carries. He had three. Kareem had one of those. He, again, like I said, had a long of 17. He had two 10-plus yard runs, but a lot of gap runs. And, and he's just he's just not as skilled. He's just not as skilled. And if the gap stuff isn't working effectively, Kareem usually can't create a bunch. Like Nick's ability when things are bottled up to still create yards is so special um, that's, that's the difference sometimes, right? I think that's what, that's what makes him so effective, uh, above league expectation and why he's so good at it. Again, but you ask yourself, why is Nick not in on the last drive, right? Like, or why is he not in? Well, he doesn't pass block all too well. He's not nearly as good a pass blocker. And this game reflected that where he uh, allowed a, pre- he was a 15.9 pass block grade to Kareem 79.7. And he's not really as an effective, uh, a pass catcher. So they, they play Kareem late, and that's okay. Nick does a lot of things great, but he's not a pass catcher, and he's not a, he's not a great pass blocker. So that's why they, they typically play Kareem more late in games where they're gun-based and forced to pass, and they need pass blocking or they need a route run from the running back. That's why. That's a Stump Mitchell choice. So if you don't like it, sorry, but that's that's how it goes. That's just the guy's skills are better suited for those types of situations. So that's what it is. Um Jacoby Brissett had one scramble for 32 yards, and it was on that final, the second-to-last drive, where he made a great play on a third and seven to get out of a uh, Wyatt Teller, a lot of pressure, and he got out of it, and and, and it was really heroic stuff. So uh, kudos to him. Uh, closing out uh, on offense, we're going to look at blocking, pass-blocking grades. Jedrick Wills put together another great game, handled Khalil Mack really well, did not give up a pressure or hurry in any phase of the game, true pass sets or otherwise. Again, shout out to Jed. Played so well. Kareem Hunt's pass protection grade was really strong. Uh, Betonio, 79.7. Conklin, 78.8. Michael Dunn, when he was in there for three snaps as the extra lineman, 74.9. And then uh, Njoku was pretty good. Wyatt Teller was the only one to really give up much in terms of pressures. He gave up two hurries in this game, uh, Wyatt did. Joel did too, but Joel was a bit more consistent uh, outside of those uh, as well. And both of those guys' pressures were allowed in true pass set scenarios where, again, I talk about those are the harder pass blocking reps because people know you're going to be throwing. There's no threat of play action or anything of the sort. Uh, run blocking grades, 
91.9 for Joel, including solid uh, blocking in the in the gap phase and run block. Or sorry, zone phase. 92.2. The zone stuff was phenomenal, and it was because they they handled the zone stuff wide zone really well in this game. Three guys with 90 above 90 grades. Posich 93.0, Wyatt Teller 94.5, and Betonio 92.2. They put on an exhibition for uh, zone blocking in this game. Jedrick Wills had a 72.0 in zone, so that was really strong. The only guy who struggled was Conklin, who usually never struggles in zone, but he did not fare very well, and I would agree with that. Too many missed blocks and some slide-offs that hurt them. 56.9 and a 41.8 in gap. They ranked 19 gap runs to only 8 zone runs, and I'll be interested to see if that tilts at some point. But yeah, I mean, the highest highest gap blocking grade was a 76.6 from Betonio. And then everybody else was hanging out in the 50s and 60s. And that kind of is indicative of what they were most successful running in this game, which again was all of their zone stuff peeling from first level to second level. So um, yeah, offense, man, I, to put a bow on it, really good. I mean, they they the situation on the fourth and one, is sometimes Kevin's just overthinking things. He's just overthinking things. Like, he's worried about the sneak where they're going to crash inside. The Chargers knew what they were going to do, that the Browns were going to overthink it. I think they knew it because their their defensive tackles were not crashing at all. Their two pinched A-gap guys, they didn't do it. They stepped outside. And it's like, that's it's like Kevin, man, you got to simplify just simplify. Your guys are good enough to do it. Jacoby, even when teams crash, can get that first down for you. On the on the goal line situation, when the Browns got lucky with the roughing the passer call, they go play action on first down, gun lateral, pen pull run on second down, which has not fared well all game, and is such a low reward, high risk to allow runners to run through on those those lateral run plays. They've got to. They, I don't. They need to pitch them. I don't really like those lateral run plays from the gun inside the five yard lines, just too congested and too much likelihood for a negative play. And that's what happened again. And they tried to do that stuff against Pittsburgh in week two, and it didn't work out. They've got to cut that. It's not, it's not good enough. Then they throw on third down and miss a throw, but they get bailed out by pass interference. No, sorry. A roughing the passer call. And then they come back and they just get under center at the two yard line and run power. And it's a touchdown. So just stop, stop, man. You're doing a great job. And I think the offense is doing well collectively, but you have to be perfect right now, so stop overthinking things. You have the best quarterback sneak guy in the league. Use him. On the goal line, get under center. Use power or play action directly off power throwing to a tight end or somebody leaking. It's easy. Stop Stop it. Just stop. You're way too smart for this. Now, we're going to switch over, and we're going to talk about the other side of the football, which is where the bigger problems lie. So we're going to take a break. Word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. So the defense is rough. You know this. It's, it's, a, it's in a bad spot. Two straight weeks of high-volume rushing yards, over 200 allowed. 238 rushing yards allowed in this game from the Browns, including uh, 173 to Eckler at 16 attempts. 10 for 49 for Josh Kelly. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's insane. Both those guys get a touchdown. Eckler was coming into this game at 140 total rushing yards on the year. The, the, the Chargers had not gone over 75 rushing yards in a game, and the Browns pulled this. Collectively, two, 26 first downs allowed. They were pretty good on third down, which is what's alarming for them. They're usually not. Three of 10 allowed on first downs uh, from third down scenarios. 465 total net yards for the Chargers, way too much, 6.7 yards per play. They only threw with Justin Herbert for 227, kind of like last week where the passing game isn't even hurting them that much. Penalties kind of nullify. They're both four and six for each team, but like, that's it. The Chargers were three of three in field goals. They only punted one time. They did have two fourth down stops, so that matters. And I'll give the defense some credit. There were some possessions in this game where they could have folded, right? They gave up the 71-yard Eckler run, but they got a field goal. They held them to a field goal. They did give up three touchdowns, but they also late in the game. that So the Browns' second half, they after the Browns had that fourth and one inside their own uh, 40-yard line fail, they held them to a field goal. The next time out, the Chargers go 13 plays, 66 yards, they held them to a field goal. So they had a chance in this game, despite really bad defensive play, because they were holding them to field goals. So they deserve some credit there, because I talk about that all the time, you know, that bend-but-don't-break philosophy. Well, the Browns have just been bend-to-break, bend not bend-don't-break. And they were, in some scenarios, bending here, but not breaking. And that matters, because those are nine points instead of 21, and you have a chance to win. Unfortunately, the kicking aspect went so bad for Cleveland, they didn't win. But, like, that is important to hold teams to field goals. I just want to say that. But the, the way... I have concerns. The personnel is not playing well enough. And whoever you want to blame on that, you can blame. And the player's got to be better, but the coach has got to get more. Ultimately, it's going to come down to the coaches. It's just going to come down. You can't fire players who are under contract, especially guys who have done well in other places. It's going to come back to coaches eventually. It just is. It's how it goes, right? It's how it goes. So that's that's one thing. And the scheme stuff is is so peculiar. You know, they they like to... They're playing these wide nine defensive ends to try to take away lateral run game. Now, granted, Atlanta didn't care. Like with with both those guys out, Atlanta did whatever they wanted to in run game. They they, they determined the whole outside inside approach. They did whatever they wanted. But in this one, the Chargers knew Clowney and Garrett were playing, so they said we're just going to attack in the middle of the football field. And the Browns like to funnel. So what they do is they play these wide ends who are upfield guys, and they funnel everything inside. Well, that's a great. That's a great angle to take if you have linebackers and defensive tackles who are playing well, and they are not playing well. It's an embarrassment up front from those guys right now. So you have these wide nines, two of your most talented defensive players who are basically non-factors. They're not even really involved in run game, and when they're rushing, they're rushing from one angle that allows a quarterback to feel comfortable and step up. So that's what's that is an extremely frustrating part of the situation right now is they're they're basically funneling their defense to the worst parts of their defense. And I understand why they want to do what they want to do. They want nothing outside. They want to they want to funnel. Some teams are spill where we take it we take and condense everything inside and push everything to the outside. Well, the Browns are a team that right now and they collectively have been with Joe Woods, sort of a funnel team. They want to funnel things inside and keep the schemes condensed in there. But when your guys inside aren't good enough, you got to question is that the best scheme for this team? And I don't I think it's pretty clearly laying itself out 
that it is not the best way to go. And it's it's producing some really ugly results right now because the defensive tackles are playing so poorly. Perrion Winfrey, I think, is a pass rush only defensive tackle. He cannot play. He cannot play against a double team. It was absolutely embarrassing being displaced, driven, moved around. Taven Bryan, same thing. Two guys who are pass rushers who are not built to handle double teams and anchor at the point of attack. Jordan Elliott, not great, but is actually a defensive tackle who can play the run. Decent, not good, decent. Anchors the double team sometimes can drop to a knee, do a decent job. Like that, that's it. I, they graded Tommy Togiai better than I would. I don't see it. I don't see it, man. I really don't see it with that guy. They, they gave him a far better grade than I would have given him. But overall, the interior stuff, who they're playing in there, it, it's a long shot. I don't see how it's going to work. And now, again, you know, with the off, you can only fix so many things in an offseason. I get it. But. These picks they've made, the guys they've brought, they're not good enough, and they're being embarrassed right now. They're not helping their linebackers. Jacob Jacob Phillips gets a decent grade. I didn't think he was good enough to get that decent grade, but he gets a decent one. Um, so, I, I mean, they brought in Deion Jones. I'm not sure if they're just unhappy with Phillips. Uh, there, there's many things. Phillips is missing in pass coverage and play action. His coverage stuff is remarkably poor at times, sorting out when play action concepts are working around him, who he's supposed to cover. So that's an issue. I just uh, I just don't know. I, I really don't know what the plan of approach is going to be moving forward because right now the way they are leaving massive bubbles along the, the defensive line and then not having enough skill to take away two blockers to free up a backer and a backer not triggering quick enough to get downhill. They're playing very passive, and I don't like the scheme they use. There's sometimes, there were times when there was a nub tight end and they were having the defensive end still stay outside and having the cornerback fit C-gap inside it. It doesn't make any sense. They're eliminating, you know, so much of what Miles and, and Clowney can do is only predicated on outside rushes where they can't swim move or spin move back inside. All they can do is try to win up field quickly, and the quarterback just steps up and throws. It's so simple for him. It's so simple. So it's extremely frustrating to watch this defense. I'm going to put it into more detail in the coming days. Uh, about, put it in a write-up and why it's broken and where it's broken so you can visually see it. But I don't like the scheme. They're very basic. They're schemed up all the time. The Chargers knew when they were going to go cover three against 12 personnel and just picked on slot outs against John Johnson. They know teams know everything the Browns are going to do. Now, they upticked in man-to-man in this game. They had uh, upwards of, uh, if I calculated this correctly, 21 snaps of either two-man cover zero or cover one. So that's higher volume for them. But they're not happening in earlier downs. They're happening in later downs, longer down in distances. And teams know that. And it just feels like what they plan for the week of is exactly what they're getting from the Browns. And they have an answer for what they're doing. There is no there is no hidden nature to what they're doing. There is no deception to what they're doing on defense. And it's a problem. Teams have a great, great feel. And you talk about, you know, these sacks happen in the NFL when quarterbacks are confused. And it is so rare that a quarterback is confused. Like what they think they're going to get from the Browns is exactly what they get, and the ball comes out. There is no pass rush confusion. He steps up, and like I'm going to show some documented clips in this of how the pass rush. They're playing two, three techniques and two wide nines, and all of them are rushing upfield, and there's just this perfect view of the football field for the quarterback. There's no 
line of sight issue. Like they're not making anything difficult on a quarterback, and we know they're not making anything difficult in run game because they can't anchor and they can't play the gap responsibilities they're supposed to play because they're so undisciplined at times, or they're just not good enough along the interior that it is a mess, and I don't know how it's going to get rectified. I really don't. The, the Patriots come to town. They're obviously a, a run football team predicated on Ramondre Stevenson and um, you know Harris, and, and, and they're going to continue to do what they do running downhill and, and limiting Bailey Zappi, and how do the Browns solve that? They can't defend the run at a simplistic level right now. So it's dangerous stuff, man. Stats from the game, Clowney was the best run defense guy, Delpit. Uh, Isaac Rochelle and seven snaps Garrett those guys get good grades I mean along the bottom Winfrey Brian Elliott Ward Denzel is an enigma he is not helping the situation at all right now he is so often making mistakes so often making mistakes I I don't I'm I'm holding off a lot of opinions on that because it's so brutal right now I don't know what else to say 75.9 grade for Phillips and pass rush miles is 75.9 with five total pressures he won upfield all day which is great man win upfield do your job but you're not you're not switching it up you're not giving a different look you're not you're not hitting anything other than just you know dip and rip and that's great but you can sort of prepare for that and i think teams have prepared for it and they're just easily defeating it so perry on winfrey with a nice nice day and pass rush he can pass rush he just can't he can't he can't he can't play the he can't play early downs he can't play early downs 65, 69.4 uh, pass rush grade. Rochelle 67.0, and then that's really it. Clowney is 62.6. He also had five pressures in the game, so uh, two of which came against uh, true pass sets. Miles had four against true pass sets. Um, looking at coverage grades, I thought Newsom was good in this one in 81.1. I thought Emerson had a great breakup on that fourth down, uh, fourth and two that Brandon Staley like a goofball went for. Hey, man, if you can punt it back to, to Jacoby Brissett coming off a terrible interception inside the 10-yard line with, uh, you know, under a, like a minute left, no timeouts, no threat of run game helping him, probably would do that and not give the Browns the ball at the 50. That guy's a goofball. He's a goofball. Anyway, uh, people who are terrible in coverage, Ward gave up five of six catches in his vicinity for 89 yards, hit the lowest grade of 42.7. John Johnson gave up three of four for 28 in his direction of 46.8. JOK and Jacob Phillips both grading the 50s. JOK allowed five of five for 31, three of four for Phillips for 31. So that is your pass grade stuff, which was not the biggest issue, but largely because teams could just run it. Uh, we'll close with special teams. DeAnthony Bell had a nice special teams grade in this one. Dakota Allen, a nice special teams grade. Your worst guys were Cade York, uh, Thomas Graham, Tony Fields down in the 40s, uh, and, and then, you know, uh, Bell and Schwartz were down there as well. So you got to make kicks, man. I mean, you're, you're ultimately drafted and paid to make kicks. The ball was in that end zone toward the west end zone, was just sort of being pushed away. By the way, it was, it was the same flight course of the ball all game, and he just couldn't, he couldn't figure it out. He missed the first one wide right, heavily wide right, Missed the second one leaking wide right at the end, where it's just like you you, you got it, and he in it. Well, he had an extra point in the second or at one point into that end zone as well, where the ball was leaking right. You got to know where the wind and the environment is taking the football down there in those areas. So uh, he's got to be better. Cade's got to be better. He's a rookie. I think he's hyper talented. I think he'll figure it out, and I'm willing to stick with him. But he's got to figure it out, man, because missing kicks that cost you games are 
crushing, and they they turned the tide quickly. So, anyway, the Browns did get after Herbert uh, eight times. They blitzed him eight times. He had 58 yards, four of eight for 58 when blitzed. When he was pressured, he was pretty good because Herbert's pretty good when he's under pressure. Seven of nine, a touchdown. Uh, when he wasn't blitzed, Herbert was 18 of 26, 170 yards and a touchdown. So he was fine. He, he just didn't have to carry him, though. He didn't have to carry him because they ran the ball so well and they put themselves in good positions on drives that he didn't have to make a bunch of crazy plays. So anyway, the run game stuff has to get fixed. Yeah, I mean, the NFL is a passing league and it's going to happen that way a majority of the time. But when you can run it as well as they did, the, the Chargers were down 14 nothing and still were just running. They didn't care. They didn't care because that's how easy it was for them to rip chunk plays off and run. It's... uh. It's a little bit crazy. It was a little bit crazy to me how easy it was and how calm they were about sticking with running the football despite all of the issues uh, on the scoreboard where you think, okay, jump out in front, make a team throw, then you can limp. No, well, you know, if you're out, it's it's early. They were still able to do what they wanted to do, uh, and, and Cleveland had no answer for it. And you can ignore the run game stuff a lot, but you can't totally ignore it. You just can't. And the Browns are totally ignoring how, how uh, in the offseason they totally ignored it, and now they've totally ignored it. Um, based on results in season. So, you know, you look at this when you can't believe the Browns just across the board graded so much better, but they still lost this football game. It's the same story for three straight weeks uh, with this whole thing, man. As they Again, they gave up in this game. The Browns allowed nine missed tackles uh, on running backs to the Chargers alone, just, just missed tackles, but they gave up eight run plays, including one. No, there was no scramble. Eight run plays. I'm sorry, there was. So seven running back run plays of 10-plus yards. There were five running back run plays of 15 yards. So that tells you they're giving up chunk runs. So like I said, I'll try to break this all down for you, but I have very little hope about the Browns' defense moving forward based on their personnel, the demeanor, and their scheme. I, I don't see it just getting better. So that is a big bummer because that is not what any of us saw coming when we when we when we thought about this football season, so I, I just think eventually uh, a guy can be a nice coach, a nice person, but eventually a change of voice probably needs to happen down the line at some point because it's just not the job's not getting done. You're in year three, and these are your results. Eventually, a change of voice and a change of thought process will have to happen. They're working in that direction. I don't think it's all on Joe Woods. Players got to play better. But again, it eventually just all comes back to a coach. That's just the nature of the job. So that's a wrap on today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. Have a great Tuesday, guys. Sorry this is a little late, but uh, it, it's here. It's delivered. It's in your lap. Hopefully this gave you some um, perspective of this game. I'll have great guests on all throughout the week. Continue to talk about the burning questions that matter. Look around the NFL. Look around the AFC North, so on and so forth. Appreciate you guys stopping by. Your time. Take a look at that article coming out probably tomorrow if you want to really understand why the Browns defense is broken. That's going to be out there for you. Otherwise, have a great day and check in with us tomorrow. We'll be back. Appreciate you. Go Browns. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.